Good morning, church. Good morning. I think it's a blessing. Oscar may uh, be unsure about it, but I get to see Oscar once a week at Moody. And sometimes I sneak up into the dorm rooms and I'm there and I say, hey, Oscar, we're here. (laughs) So it's a blessing. So do please ask Oscar how the semester has been going and encourage him. And again, let me encourage you. There are many in our midst who are who are in studies, uh, who are starting college. Some are away and some are still in our midst, of course. And so ask, please ask our college students how they're doing and, and how we can be praying for them. Because again, as as Ricky shared, that is what it means to be a part of this church family, to be concerned with one another, to be praying for one another. And Oscar isn't the only one who is in college, and we want to hold him accountable and pray for him and with him. But there are also others who are, who are in school and are uh, on our minds and hearts as well. Well, it's such a privilege to open up the word with you again this morning. So would you uh, please bow in a word of prayer with me again as a reminder that we need the Lord to speak to us, to speak with us, and to minister to us once again. And let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for this day that you have prepared a word for us. Father, I ask that you would use me as your servant today. Pray that you would, as Paul says in this passage, allow me to work with the power that is powerfully working in me. Help me, Lord, to be your steward today as Paul makes declaration, Lord, of himself. I pray that you would minister to us, Lord. I pray that you would give us understanding and wisdom. Help us to see you, Jesus. Help us to be transfixed by you and recognize that in you we have all that we need. And as a result of the work that you have done, God, that we are completely changed. So, Lord, I ask that you would help us this morning. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, about two and a half months ago, Meredith and I were in Washington, D.C. And one day when we were together there in D.C., I had one thing on my mind, and that was getting lunch. We had made plans. We were going to visit the food market there in D.C., and I had spent the whole morning scoping out the food market. I was looking for which restaurants were there, what they served, and I made a whole plan. And I even ate a light breakfast because I knew I was going to eat such great food. But there was a problem. Meredith wasn't feeling well. Her stomach was unsettled all weekend, and we were going to this market, and she was being great. She was letting me talk on and on about the food and about the options that we would be able to share. But by the time we got into the market, she just was not feeling well at all. And I was, of course focused on my mission to get great food and I said, babe, they've got empanadas, they've got pasta, they've got beef, they've got sandwiches, we're going to get it off. She looks at me and she says, well, I think I'm going to sit outside for a little bit. And so, as I went inside to uh, see what was there, I did what any loving, empathetic husband would do. I ate two empanadas for my wife. So there I was, getting food and thinking about my wife who wasn't feeling well, and I had my plate of fresh-made pasta, and I sat over, and as I'm eating, I'm saying, Honey, I'm I'm so sorry you're not feeling well. I hope you're feeling better soon. 
And then Meredith told me something that completely changed my outlook. It completely changed everything I was thinking about. She said, I'm pregnant. It wasn't the flu, it wasn't a cold, it was a baby. <laughs> I no longer had any interest in my pasta, I could only think about this incredible news. Now, I'd like to think that there is news in our lives that really changes our outlook on life. It changes our perspective. Even this news, which will pale in comparison to the news that I want to share with you today. That news really shaped my outlook. The pasta wasn't as interesting and as delicious as it had been before. Uh, even this past week I was online and seeing this promotion for the great sneakers and I th saw them and I was looking at pictures and I thought, those would look great on my feet. And I said, I'm going to buy them. And then I saw at the bottom of the promotion it said, available spring 2018. And I said, wait a minute, <laughs> my baby's coming in spring 2018. I can't be out here wearing these sneakers, it's diaper money. <laughs> my whole outlook has changed. Now, when we look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5, I want us to understand that part of what this passage is doing is it's telling us that some great news has been announced to us. And this news has the potential, it has the power to change our entire outlook of life. Our lives cannot be the same if we truly understand what this word is. Paul is going to tell us that the great news of this passage should shape our lives. It is the good news. From his own experience, Paul is going to share how the good news of God shaped all of his life. It shaped his work. It shaped his experience, his own understanding of that experience. And the gospel provided for Paul a lens to understand his life and work. Now let me ask you a question. If the gospel became our lens for understanding all of life, our work, our experiences, our relationship to God and others, would any of your life change? What difference would the gospel make in our life if we allowed the gospel to reshape our lives? It's part of the question that I want us to be thinking about today. That's part of the theme of what we want to be thinking about, life according to the mystery of God. That's the different word that Paul uses in this passage. He, he doesn't use the word gospel here. He uses the word mystery. And what we come to find out is that this mystery is this great news, this great announcement that God has made known to us. According to Paul, his ministry to the whole church and to the church in Colossae specifically had been shaped by this announcement of the mystery of God. By his example, we begin to understand how this revealed mystery can shape our own lives as well. I want to consider this passage in three parts. First, 
I want to consider the announcement. Second, I want, to, I want us to reflect on the effect the announcement has on us. And finally, third, I want us to hear Paul's appeal to let this truth, the truth of this announcement, shape all of our life. That's why I want us to consider this passage. So let's read again together in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 24 through the fifth verse of chapter 2. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 to verse 5 of chapter 2. Paul writes, now I, want, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations and now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see you in good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The first thing I want us to consider is this great announcement that has now been revealed. The mystery of God has now been revealed by God. In this time, God has chosen to share with us what he is doing. I want us to consider this passage not in sequential order, but according to this particular uh, three-phase approach. So look at verses 25. I'm, look at verses 25 through 27. I became a minister of his body, that is the church, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Notice what he says in verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, one of the difficulties of this passage is that we sort of get lost in Paul's wordiness. He says a lot here. He packs in quite a bit of thought. But there are some important things that we ought to notice to understand truly what this announcement is. Paul says, I was a minister of God. But notice why he was a minister. It wasn't because he wanted to do it. It wasn't because it looked so desirable. It was because he was commissioned by God. I have been given a stewardship by God. 
Think of the word stewardship as a job in the household. Paul says, the Lord marked me as a servant in his house to minister to his household, the church. That is my task as a minister. Ministers, pastors, those of you who are training for ministry, you are a steward in God's household. To do what task? To make the word of God fully known. To announce this great news that Paul is going to describe for us. That is our aim as ministers of God. Ministers in the household of God. Paul says, he was called to announce this great news, this mystery that has now been received or revealed by God. Now this raises a question for me. Now been revealed. Paul makes a big deal about the fact that the time is now. And one of the questions or one of the thoughts that you and I should have is, I didn't realize we were waiting for anything. Paul seems to indicate to us that something has been hidden for all times. That is what mystery means. It means that, that there was a secret plan that was waiting to be revealed from generations to generations. You see, this word mystery is a Jewish word. It is that secret plan of God outworking for his people. In other words, the people of God had a particular expectation. They were waiting for something. What were they waiting for? They were waiting for God to tell the world what he was going to do to restore the kingdom to his people. God reigns, but when will he demonstrate his kingdom? When will he restore the fortunes to his people? If you remember in the book of Acts when Jesus is preparing to depart from his disciples and the disciples asked him, Lord, is now the time that you will restore the fortunes to your people? You see, there was a sense of waiting from the people. They were waiting for God to show up. They were waiting for God to demonstrate what he was going to do and how he was going to do that. And Paul says to us, we are living in a special time. Because of what God has done in Christ, at his death and resurrection, we are at the beginning of a new age. At the beginning of a new era where now it has been revealed what God is going to do. And then Paul says, let me tell you what he's going to do. You've been waiting for this to be revealed. Let me tell you exactly what God says he will do. This which has been hidden for many ages has now been revealed to his saints. That plan that has now been revealed is this. It is Christ in you. It is that God in his great working and his great power has made available his love, his mercy to every single one of us. That's what is, in, is indicated by verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Let's think about this for a second. God has chosen to reconcile all the world to himself through his Son. Through Jesus, we who were far were brought near and become God's people. Christ in us and us in Christ. 
That is God's plan. That is God's strategy for bringing about reconciliation. It is Christ. And what we find out is that we are not just invited to become the people of God. We actually possess Christ himself and we are possessed by Christ. We belong to God. But think about what is being said here. Because there's something else that's more mysterious, more special about what God is doing here. Through Jesus, who being fully God and fully man, suffered and died on the cross, we have reconciliation for our sins. He was raised by the power of God in order to free us from the bondage of sin and death. Now through Jesus, forgiveness and reconciliation are available. God's kingdom is coming through Jesus. But that's not all. This mystery is even greater still because according to this word of God, Jesus not only brings the kingdom, he invites us into it. He opens the border of his kingdom and says to us, you who were once not my people, you can become my people. We who were Gentiles, not belonging to the people of God, have been welcomed in. Jesus extends his table and says to us, come, sit next to me. There is room here at my table. He says, now you who were once far can begin to see the beauty of God. We can experience the love of God, the mercy of God. That is now available to us. That is the greatness of this announcement. Jesus brings his kingdom, yes, but Jesus brings his kingdom for us. We can be members in that kingdom. We can worship Jesus as our God. We can have fellowship with him. It's now open to us. The beauty, the, the mercy, the love. We can now see it. A few years ago, Meredith and I were visiting Italy, and there is a museum there, a gallery, an art gallery called the Uffizi Gallery. Now what's really interesting about this gallery is that for most of its beginnings, for about four centuries, it wasn't a public gallery. It was a gallery, yes, that housed the, some of the most beautiful paintings and some of the most beautiful collections, but it was only available to the Medici family. They held private viewings for their friends and those who were also family members. And then at the end of the 18th century, one of the last remaining descendants of the Medici said, this beauty shouldn't be contained just for our family. This beauty should be something that is shared with the public. All people should come and see from all ends of the earth. They should be able to see this great beauty. So now you can visit this museum. You can see the great Italian painters and, and, and see all of these collections of art. But here's what I want us to think about. As wonderful as that art is, there is a greater truth that is available to us here. God has opened up his beauty to us. He has opened up his love for us so that now we can see and explore how good our God is. And it's available to all of us through faith in Jesus. How wonderful is our God. How wonderful is this announcement from God. We who are far have been brought near Praise God for his kindness, for his mercy, for his love. God's plan of reconciling us to himself doesn't just mean that we can have fellowship with him forever. It means that we are becoming his people. We are being 
transformed to be like Jesus. We are being made into a new people. How? By sharing in his mission. This is the effect that this great news, this great announcement has for us. First, we see that this great announcement invites us in to become God's people. But secondly, we see that there is a great effect on us. We have the ability to become transformed, to become like Jesus. We share in his mission and in his suffering because we are his people. Look at verse 24 and verses 28 through 29. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church. Verse 28, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Now, verse 24 is one of the most difficult passages that we have to understand here. Because it's so helpful to us in understanding how we are being formed as God's people. Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. And that much is clear. Paul has such an outlook on life, such an understanding of this great announcement, such an understanding of his role as a minister of God, that he views his suffering, his pain, his difficulty as an ability to rejoice God or as, as an opportunity to rejoice in God. But why is that? Paul says, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now what does that mean? Was Paul saying that Christ's work was insufficient? No. He is not adding to the atoning work of Jesus. What he is saying here must be understood according to two observations that we should make. Let's think about this text together. The phrase does not mean that Christ's afflictions are needing to be filled up. Rather, we should view Christ's afflictions as a category that belongs to us as his people. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. Imagine that this water bottle were Christ's afflictions. Not those belonging to Christ, but those that are in line with who Christ is and what belongs to his people. We all have a portion in this water bottle. That is, that if you belong to the people of God, there is suffering for you. Why? Because that marks us as the people of God. And so when we suffer, we are adding our portion to the collection of Christ's suffering. Or in other words, to the suffering that belongs to Christ's people. So when Paul says, I rejoice because I am filling what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, he's not saying I am making up for something that is deficient in Christ. He's saying, I am adding my portion. I'm adding that which was due to me as a member of God's family. I'm filling up what is lacking for the sake of his church. Now, I want us to think about that for a moment. Because what this means is that you and I, in suffering, are taught how to become Christ's people. There is a commonality that we share with Jesus when you and I suffer. So that when we view suffering in this light, we can be like Paul and say, I rejoice in this experience because I am learning how to be like Christ. I am learning how to be a member of the people of God, the people that belong to Christ. 
See, we share in Christ's suffering because the people of God, if they are truly the people of God, share a common experience with Jesus. They suffer. That is the Christian way of life. To, su to suffer is to be among the people of God. It is, to, it is the proof that we belong to Jesus. That is why Paul can rejoice. He doesn't ignore his suffering or minimize it. He rejoices in it because he knows that it is a form of identification, a form of participation with the crucified, risen Jesus, our Savior. You see, Jesus suffered. And Jesus told his disciples that they too would suffer. So Paul knows that when he experienced suffering, he can rejoice because it marked him as a member in Christ's family, as a member in Christ's church. We share in Christ's suffering, one, because we are the people of God, but two, because Jesus is a model for us. When we look to the crucified Jesus, yes, we see what it took to pay for our sins. But we also see a model there. We see what life ought to be for those of us who are following Jesus. It is a taking up of our cross. It is a living a life that is giving up of ourselves, giving what we, uh, what we desire, giving what is easy for us. We are giving ourselves over for the sake of others, even on to death. That's what Jesus teaches us. We are willing to give up what we most desire for the sake of his church. If we will become like Jesus, it means taking up our cross and giving ourselves up for God's purposes. We are willing to deny ourselves for the sake of his church. Now, I want us to think about this. Because this means that you and I shouldn't be averse to suffering. We shouldn't be holding our hands out trying to stop any suffering that is going to come our way. As Pastor Ralph was sharing with us, suffering can be a blessing, be a cause of rejoicing. Because through suffering, we become Christ's people. We learn to long for Him. We learn to long for His coming kingdom. We learn that He understands our pain and our hardship, and He will sustain us to the end. Sometimes these experiences of hardship, these experiences of difficulty, cause us to lean on God that much more. And our faith becomes stronger. Rejoice in your suffering. Because it might be a tool in the hand of God to make you into the person that he has called you to be. But secondly, suffering also not only bonds us to Christ, it also bonds us to one another. The body of Christ is a suffering body. Those of us who are in the church will be experiencing suffering. That much is clear. But when we suffer or when we look to those who are suffering, we are reminded that we are one family. And when one part of the body suffers, the other part of the body experiences that too. So perhaps we can rejoice in our suffering because it reminds us that we are one. That we are one family. So we empathize with one another. We look to one another when we're suffering. We encourage one another. We lift our burdens up for one another because we are one body, the body of Christ, the church. So 
we encourage one another, we pray for one another, we give toward one another's needs, whether they be physical or emotional or even spiritually. If we are the body of Christ, we are a corporate body, members of His church. And we're called to come around alongside one another, to minister to each other's needs. Let's not forget our brothers and sisters in hardship. We can rejoice when we give to, to the needs of those in Puerto Rico. We can rejoice when we give to the needs of, of students like Oscar because we are being the body together. We are becoming the body of Christ that is a suffering body, that is a rejoicing body, and that is a, and that is a body that is on mission. That's the last part of Paul's message here in terms of the effect that this has on us. Notice that it tells us that we are on mission with Christ. Paul's mission and Christ's mission become one mission. They're doing the same work. Notice what it says in verse 22. In verse 22, the purpose of what Christ is doing is what? So that he can reconcile us in the body of his flesh by his death in order to present us holy and blameless above reproach. Then notice in verse 28. Why? Does he proclaim Jesus so that he might present everyone mature in Christ? You see, when we allow this great news, this news that we have been invited to become God's people, that we are becoming more and more like Christ, our mission is transformed and our mission becomes Christ's mission. Our work becomes God's work. We are concerned with proclaiming him, teaching him, because that is what God is doing. He is inviting us not only into his suffering, he is also inviting us into his mission. But notice what's happening in this mission. We are not doing this work on our own. We're doing this work with the help of God. Paul writes, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul is doing this work with the energy that God supplies in him, so much so that you cannot tell who's doing the work. Is Paul doing the work? Is Christ doing the work? Paul is doing the work as God strengthens him. This energy powerfully works within him. How many of us are trying to do the work of God in our own strength? We're trying to raise godly children. We're trying to love our spouses. We're trying to be uh, 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 witnesses in this community, but we're doing it in our own strength. That will only lead to exhaustion, to bitterness, to disappointment, and it will only cause us to lose sight of God. Paul says, I do this work not out of my own strength, but out of the strength that God gives to me. Whatever your ministry, whatever your mission, think about the power that God gives to you when you're struggling, when you're defeated. Ask God for strength. Because you will only be able to do it according to his strength. Our mission becomes Christ's mission. Our goal is to proclaim this wisdom, to make known this great mystery that has been revealed. We admonish one another, we teach one another. What are the things and actions that should no longer be a part of our life? What does it look like to live in accordance with this new call on our lives? And let me turn to the third section of this passage, the third key of this passage, and that is the appeal 
that Paul makes unto us. Our aim is to fully understand the significance of this good news in all of our lives. This good news reaches deep in our souls and gives us understanding and wisdom in all things. But you know, there are competing messages. There are competing stories. There are competing values that try and give us a sense of understanding. And Paul says, don't allow those things to persuade you in a way that you should not go. Paul makes an appeal to us that in light of this good news, let's allow this impact, this, 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 this change that is happening, let allow it to strengthen our faith. He says, stand firm in the truth of this gospel. Verses 1 through 5, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of the full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's great mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Paul's concern for the church is that they would be encouraged in their life, in their circumstances, but also that they would be knit together in love, that they would become a community that shares in the love of God and is ministered to and encouraged by this love. But how do we do that? How do we become that community? Paul says it is by digging deep into this great mystery, by searching it to see its wisdom, to see its understanding, because here's the reality of this mystery. The more we understand this mystery that Christ is in us and we are in Christ, that we belong to Christ as His people, the more we understand what it looks like to live encouraged, to live united together in love. You see, when we reflect on our identity as Christ's people, it motivates us, it teaches us how to live with one another, how to love one another, how to put off the old ways of living. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Paul says in Colossians 3. Put on then, as God's chosen and beloved, mercy, kindness, patience. How could he say that? Because we are becoming God's people, and the more we reflect on this mystery, this reality that Christ is in us and we are in Christ, the greater understanding we will have on how to live in all of our lives how to respond to one another, how to forgive one another, how to be testifiers of this great mystery. All you need in life can be understood if you search these deep treasures of what it means to be the people of God by the work of God in Jesus and by His Spirit. You have questions about life, you have questions about God, Paul says, look at Jesus. Search out what it means to be his people, to be redeemed by him, to be reconciled by him, to be transformed into his image, and then you will know all of the answers that you've been searching for. But there are arguments, there are values that try to dissuade us, that try to move us along in another direction, and Paul is saying, don't listen to those things. Stay focused 
on what it means to be a believer in Jesus. It says, I hope that when I come to you, you will have stood firm in your faith in Jesus. Would we be able to stand firm against any other plausible arguments that sound persuasive enough, that are telling us how we can enjoy life, how we can have peace and joy, how we can have security, when all we need to do is reflect on our new identity as God's people in Christ. If this is our identity, what is he going to ask of us? How will this shape my life? How will this shape my relationships with those around me, with this community? Reflect on Jesus and see that all of the treasures of wisdom and understanding for all of life are right there. And the rest of this series will be an exploration in that wisdom. An exploration of what it looks like to live well together as a community, to make this announcement known and to reject those false teachings which ask us to look away from Jesus. I'm going to magnify Christ to understand what it means to be a part of His people and to be transformed into His likeness. Paul says, stand firm in the faith. There is this great thing that has been done. There is this great mystery that has now been revealed. God has acted on your behalf in Christ. And not only has He invited you into fellowship with Him forever, but He is also making you into a new people. It means suffering. It means a new purpose, being on mission to be proclaimers of this great mystery. But it also means standing firm in your faith in Christ and rejecting alternative ways of understanding. Let's ask God for help as we seek to do that together as a community. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would help us to stand firm, that we would be men and women who understand what it looks like to be your transformed new people. We have been moved from the domain of darkness into your kingdom as your kingdom people. Lord, I ask for your help this morning. Help us to understand what it means to be the children of God. Help us, Lord, I pray. Amen. Would you stand with us as we continue to worship through song?